0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We are in a series on Luke right now, and today we are finding ourselves in... Luke 13, 10 through 17. If you want to read in your own Bibles, you can. I'm in the ESV if it's helpful, but I'll have it up on the screen if you just want to read there. So we're on Jesus and a spirit of disability, and it goes like this. Now, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed of your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, "'You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him.'" All right. Usually when we preach this passage, our focus is on the Sabbath and what it should be used for. Obviously, um, as you can see in this passage, religious folk of Jesus' time really wanted to hold to the commandments so strongly. And they really didn't like Jesus that so they would point his finger to the point of sounding nonsensical. Hey, let's say that one of your pets fell in a ditch on the Sabbath. They're like, sorry, buddy, I'll be back tomorrow. She's like, no, obviously not. Your animals need to drink. Are you like, sorry, buddy, can't give you anything to drink today. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, of course, this woman who's been dealing with pain for 18 years, if God wants to heal her on the Sabbath, what are are you worried about? Like, do you not understand the point of the Sabbath and this good day and the good things that can happen? So that's a lot of the focus of this passage. But I actually today want to zoom in on a different part of it. It's the spirit of disability. And I want to talk about the church and how we treat disabled people. This has been something that I've started been uh, studying the last few weeks or so um, as I've been trying to dive deeper into this topic. And I was painfully unaware um, how often the church can really create problems for people dealing with disability, especially theological problems Um, identity problems, soul problems, the kinds of things that we say on behalf of God to people dealing with disability is pretty, pretty bad. And, uh, I recognize in my own life that it's just been a blind area to me. It's been an area of justice that I just haven't paid attention to. When I think back through my time here at 1208, there's plenty of things where it's like, well, if I could go back and do that differently, I would. For example, um, one of the only ways into our building is, uh, if you're dealing with disability, is this front door. And yet, for many years, when I was getting the church set up, I just wouldn't unlock that door because nobody ever used it. Meaning, if somebody came with disability, they would have found that the doors were locked to them. And I realized, like, how much of a issue that would be. They'd be like, okay, I guess this church isn't interested in me or serving people um, who can't even get up two stairs. They, they don't care about someone like me. So that... That was like one of the things I was like, wow, I got to work on that. And then I started reading a book by Amy Kenny. Amy Kenny is someone who's been dealing with disability for her whole life. Um, she wrote this book. It's a great book where most of what we're going to talk today comes right out of it, but it's called My Body Is Not a Prayer Request. It's Disability Justice in the Church. Her name's Amy Kenny. She's a scholar who has written this book to kind of draw attention to what people with disability deal with in relation to the church. And I realized I had to put my defenses down to hear what she had to say because as somebody who's physically able to do the kinds of things that she's not, uh, much of my brain when I'm reading these things is like, well, this is probably like a minority issue. This is like, Jamin, that's the kinds of things that Jesus cares about, minority issues. Jesus cares about the, the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and things like disability fall into that. So Amy Kinney shows the church what she has put up with throughout her life. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's appalling. And uh, I want to I wanna go through a few of the lists that she has in her book as somebody who has disability, what, what she often deals with. So she's got a bunch of lists in her book. Here's the first one. Strangers will come up to her. As someone with disability and recommend ways to heal her ready for these these ones are these ones are weird ways to heal your legs so that you can walk again number one sleep with a bar of soap can you imagine a stranger walking up to you hey I noticed your legs don't work have you tried sleeping with a bar of soap before Wow. <laughs> no I have not tried that uh, put garlic in your socks Home remedies get more sun or avoid the sun either or use a heat lamp or put an ice pack on your legs you can bathe with Epsom salts because Epsom salts will draw out disability is what they would tell her vitamin C magnesium iron maybe all of those things Uh, Bone broth or pickle juice, but never together. Don't have bone broth and pickle juice together. They have to be separate. Uh, You can just try to relax. That'll heal you. Uh, Jog. Eventually your legs will remember. Oh, yeah, this is how I work and you'll run again. And then hit the other leg with a hammer. These are the kinds of things that strangers have walked up to somebody who cannot walk. And just said, here's how you fix your legs. Now, she has felt like a lab rat going to so many different kinds of doctors saying, how can I fix this? To the point that she she eventually had to say, like, you, you guys are just treating me like a project now. I don't I don't feel humanized by doctors. And this is how the rest of the world, just strangers on the street, would tell her when they see that she can't walk. Because when we run into people who are different from us, a lot of times we feel suddenly on edge and we want to be like, Starting these conversations as to how to make you more like me Amy does not feel Unnormal she does not feel like less of a person except for the fact that people see her Want to heal her and make them more like them so that she can feel more like a person from their perspective These are the kind of things that we do to people dealing with disabilities People will run into her sometimes and say these at least statements. Well, at least you don't have this problem. At least you don't have this problem. Here's the ones that she got At least you'll be running in heaven. At least you're only physically disabled. At least it's not cancer. At least you have a caring husband. At least you don't look disabled. At least you can count your blessings. At least you don't let your disability define you. At least you're inspiring others. At least this is a part of God's plan for you. And at least you get good parking. Just statements that people throw her way that she has to deal with all the time. Other lists, disability denials. Denials. Apparently people in disability will run into this all the time, where they'll go to like uh, um, the state to get their license that shows that they are disabled, and the state will actually like really press them to make sure that they're disabled. So here she is, she can't walk, and the lady at the counter is like, "Yes, you can. Show me. Prove to me that you can't walk. <laughs> okay. Uh, but they'll run into this because occasionally somebody will cheat the system and lie about that. But then that becomes like a stereotype for all people dealing with disability. Oh, well, you're all just liars. We don't that's not how the life our lives work. Just because one person in the church was bad does not mean everybody in the church is bad. Just because you met one person of one race who did one thing does not mean that everybody in that race does one thing. Just because one person lied about being physically disabled does not mean you should now question every physically disabled person. Uh, you come across so when people deny her here's what she has to face all the times like oh, you're using your grandpa's license Just pretending that you have a problem so that you can get good parking or this or that yeah. Oh, you're just you just wait until you're my age. Then you'll really know what it's like to be disabled. Oh, okay <laughs> uh, You're just differently abled You rely too much on that cane Don't let your disability hold you back Only disability in this world is having a bad attitude. You're too pretty to be disabled. You're too young to be disabled. You don't look sick. And you can't be disabled with that smile. Reasons for uh, disability when this is where the church can especially mess things up when we're trying to understand why people are dealing with disability. Um, the church will sometimes say the fall. Well, the fall happened, now everything's not perfect, and therefore you're disabled. Um, God needed a special angel, so he made you disabled. You symbolize for the rest of us our worst fate, so thank you for existing to remind us how bad it could be. Uh, You've given up hope, that's why you're disabled. If you just hoped, then you could fix it. Uh, rep, You represent the world's decay For the rest of us uh, You keep us grateful You've sinned, that's why you're disabled Your parents sinned, that's why you're disabled Adam and Eve sinned, that's why you're disabled And you need more faith If you had more faith, then you wouldn't be disabled These are all the kinds of things that Jesus in the Gospels already said That's not how it works Remember, somebody's dealing with a problem and the disciples come up to Jesus and they use this kind of theology. Who sinned? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? Why is he blind? Jesus, what's the, what's the moral theological reason as to why this guy has a disability? To which Jesus responds what? It, he takes that moment to heal the guy. So that he might see again that God's wonders would be made manifest in that moment. Now, I don't think this was like a necessarily God like made the guy blind because one day he wanted him to run into Jesus. I just think God looks at those moments when people are dealing with disability and God uses those moments as like, a well, here's a moment for God to shine. And the particular way in which God shone into that guy's life that day was to heal him. But that's not always the case. And that's part of the struggle. We, we see so many stories after stories after stories of Jesus healing people with disabilities that we think if anybody out there has a disability, then it must be demonic, then it must be a problem, then it, it must be because they sinned, it must be because they did something wrong. But Jesus rebuked that kind of thinking in the Gospels. This blind man did not sin. This blind man's parents did not sin. Those are not, I mean, sure, they sinned somewhere in their life, but those are not the reasons that this man is blind Lots of people doing the I know how you feels We've seen this in lots of other ways Like racial reconciliation I've got a friend who During uh, kind of the heights of the black matters Movements and things like that um, uh, My friend's dad got super defensive A white country man Who looked at his son And said I know exactly How black people feel <laughs> and it's like Because he thought he had been there He had not been there. A white country man had not been in the same place as a black urban man who had faced all of this racism because of the color of his skin. So this is the kind of thing that we do is like, I know exactly how a black man feels. No, you don't. I know exactly how a disabled person feels. No, you don't. And so we need to be careful with those kinds of statements because we can discredit what people are going through with many of those kinds of statements. Oh, I've got a friend who's disabled, so I know how you feel. Oh, I partied all weekend once, and I was really worn down at the end of it, so I know exactly how you feel. is are things that she says she's heard before. I sprained my ankle in third grade, so I know how you feel. I, uh, I get exhausted from walking all day sometimes, so I know how you feel. Doctors removed my toenail, an ingrown toenail once, and it really hurt, so I know what it's like to not like doctors. I know how you feel. I had to go to physical therapy for six weeks, so I know how you feel. I was wheeled out after giving birth, so I know how you feel. I, uh, uh, aren't, we, aren't we all disabled, trying to downplay it? We all have a cross to bear, and I have a little bit. I think I have a little bit of what you have. These are all kind of things. I think sometimes we're just trying to liken ourselves to what other people are going through, but a lot of times we're just being defensive. You're no different than me. Your life is really hard, but my life is hard too. And we've all kind of made those statements where we downplay what someone else is going through by trying to liken ourselves to the same thing. And the truth is, we're not going through that. I've done that. You've done it. I've done it in the past week. And then uh, I've got just like two more lists because these are, I think, very helpful. Disability accolades. Well, God doesn't see you that way. You're so courageous. God needed another angel. We've already seen that one before. You remind me that it could be worse. I wish I could stay home too. You don't look disabled. seen that before. I realize my suffering isn't that bad. Here's maybe one of the worst. I'd kill myself if I was like you. If I had your disability, I wouldn't want to live. I don't think of you that way. And you are an inspiration. And that inspiration one's actually that's that's important because when you um, the kinds of disabled people that we lift up are the ones that we kind of treat as like inspiration, right? So ones that we hire to bring to schools and conferences who maybe they don't have any legs and they come up and they do all these things that you would never expect somebody in that kind of state to do. And we're like, yes, look, they pulled through. They, they overcame their disability, and they're just like the rest of us. And they found a way to kind of impress us and be normal nonetheless. Almost like we're treating some people with disability as inspiration or um, um, almost kind of circus-like, you know? And then you have most people dealing with disability that are not going to live lives like that and don't see the need to impress us to that level, and we just ignore them. The ones who are dealing with disability that we approve of and that we appreciate are the ones that try to find their way into motivational speaking realms or do things that we otherwise thought was impossible. I'm not saying like that's bad for them to do those kinds of things. I'm just saying the rest of society only pays attention to a certain kind of disabled people. And then responses to being called out. If you've done justice before, when you start to tell people, hey, that's not an appropriate way to to, um, talk to someone or what you just said was actually quite offensive, when you do that, people's defenses go up immediately. This can be on any justice issue, racism, refugees, human trafficking and the like. When we feel provoked, our defenses go up and we say some pretty harsh things. Here's what has happened when somebody has said something really offensive to her, and she's actually said, Hey, I didn't appreciate that. People say, It's not my fault you took offense. You need thicker skin. Cancel culture is too much these days. Your tone hurt my feelings. Take a chill pill. What about freedom of speech? Oh, you're the language police. Gotta watch over every word I say. You're too sensitive. What I said, it doesn't mean that anymore. You're taking it out of context. And that's not how I meant it. This, I mean, this is straight across the board. Any justice issue you get a part of, if people do not lower their defenses, you're always ready to, like, somebody says something to you, provokes you. You could put down your defenses and say, you're right. I never thought of it that way. That's a great point. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to try to be better. Or you can, well, that was mean. You were mean to me. Shut up. I didn't like that. You're a jerk. That's often how people respond when they feel provoked. And as Christians, our job is to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that does not respond like that, but looks to Jesus and says, hey, this is somebody who's marginalized, dealing with the kinds of things, Jesus, that you you cared about, and I hurt them. And I'm, I'm sorry, can you teach me how I can cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness over my relationship and interaction with this person? Now, Amy, Amy Kenney is going to give one last list. This is the kind of stuff that she dreams that the church would be better at. Okay, your final list. She wishes the church could one. Oh, what the... These are such crucial points. We're going to watch the animations move at 20 seconds. Welcome. (laughs) We're just going to keep hitting the next ones here to make sure we're going. Welcome change to become more inclusive and accessible to all disabled people. That's something that um, we're, we're trying to do a little bit here at 1208. It's very very small. But after reading this book, I immediately bought a handicap sign to put on the back door, pointing people toward the front. Um, I do know a pastor who they were building a new church building and uh, their bathrooms actually weren't up to code. It was like a few inches short of what a handicapped person needs in their bathroom. And the city actually had them redo the entire bathrooms that they had just built so that it could reach handicapped people. Now, a lot of us would look at that and be like, oh, what what a pain. But that's how we should be loving our neighbors. Those are the kind of things that we need to recognize just because we don't have a problem getting onto a toilet does not mean that somebody else does not have that problem. That's why they create those kinds of things, kind of uh, methods and legislation to help us know how to do a better job of that. Um, another disability dream, believe us. Believe disabled people when they share that something is inaccessible. All the time, um, when somebody says, this is difficult for me, we get defensive, and especially as churches, we'll say, well, we don't have the money to spend on that to reach you, which is a way of the church kind of ostracizing those who are like, hey, going to your church is hard. Yeah, well, we don't have time, money, or energy for you, sorry. And we need to find ways to not end up in that place. She says it's good to celebrate the holy disruption of disabled body and minds. Um, I've helped out with a church of people who are all dealing with autism. And one of the things that um, the parents who go to this church will be like, this is finally a church that accepts us. The other churches that we've gone to in our lives, we end up not being able to to stay because the church kind of kicks us out. Because maybe the kid has Tourette's and he's just yelling throughout the service or there's disruptions going on or noises being made. And the whole church kind of ostracizes them and stares at them or tells them to leave or find a different way. Um, And so people at this uh, church full of people with autism, they're finding ways to celebrate those disruptions, to make it holy, to try to work with that community. And the parents feel accepted. Uh, you can incorporate disability theology into worship practices and gatherings. You can learn from the prophetic witness of disabled experiences. And you can invite and equip disabled people to lead. And your final four that she gives is to budget money, time, and resources to make space, spaces and community etiquette, etiquette inclusive. You can create community care networks to support disabled people. You can pay the CRIP tax for disabled people in the community. A lot of people dealing with disability are paying an incredible amount of money uh, in in, in um, medical bills and things like that, What you see in the Bible, too. There's somebody who's dealing with a medical condition, and they are completely broke, the Bible says. They have spent all of their money on doctors. And Jesus comes with Wait for it, political hot button, free health care. <laughs> Jesus shows up and heals the lady, putting her back into a safe place. And then she says, finally, to worship the disabled God. When Jesus is resurrected, it seems like he kept his wounds. Wo- <laughs> wounds, not wombs. When Jesus was resurrected, he seemed to still have scars on his hand. So maybe, maybe we are already worshiping a God who is disabled. A God who himself, just like he became a refugee, just like he became homeless, also by the end of it became disabled. That is the God that we worship. So with all that being said, uh, I, I really do Encourage you to to check out that book. Uh, I think it can be helpful to all of us to pay attention to our disabled brothers and sisters And provoke us on a justice issue that maybe we don't often pay attention to. Maybe you are way more involved in this issue um, Than I am, but for me it was re-provoking all over again Um, In the racial world you might be called a racist, but in the disability world you're called an ableist and the amount of things that I realized I was very ableist about as I read through that, I was like, I have two options while I keep reading this book. I can put my defenses down and trust Amy and let it convict me and change me, or I can just fight back and learn nothing from this book the whole time and take on the title Ableist. I tried to do the first part. When we, when we, um, When we become ableist, we we hurt the people around us. Now, this is difficult because in today's passage, Jesus healed someone with a spirit of disability, right? We're like, well, so what? We shouldn't pray for disabled people? We shouldn't pray that that their bodies would be healed and things like that? No, I don't think that's the case. I think you should always be praying for people who are sick. But if somebody has been disabled their whole life and they've been to church before, I think you should recognize they've probably already been prayed for. And they've probably already been burned by a lot of Christians. They've probably already been diminished and minimalized by a lot of Christians. And it may not be that they need another prayer request at that time. They may just need you to love them as they are. And as you do that, perhaps a moment will come in that relationship where they'd say, I wouldn't mind if you would pray for me. And then you're coming to it on their terms, that's difficult sometimes, because we do have Gospels that show us that uh, our bodies can be thrown off in ways that God can heal. But when that becomes our focus, and we're just trying to make people feel like us at all times, they feel diminished. And I've done this before. Oh, man, uh, there was a moment we we showed a documentary here about spiritual gifts, and it was a good documentary And at the end of it, um, somebody needed prayer. Now, the way that this prayer was brought to me was somebody tracked me down the lobby and said, Jamin, there's a girl over here who needs to be prayed for. Her voice is very strange, like it's going. And so I came over. We had just watched this documentary about healing. I'm trying to rev myself up. Yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to see healing tonight. Here we go. I walk over like, hey. I heard there's something wrong with your voice. How can we pray for you? (laughs) And she's like, oh, this is just my voice. It's always been like this. I had prayer for something else. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, dear goodness. Right in front of her church family, who was also there needing prayer. And now, you know, I'm doing that awkward thing where it's like, well, would you also like us to pray for your voice? You know, like trying to cover up what I had just done. And so now I'm praying for her voice, which she didn't care about at all and something else that she needed. Recognizing that I had just diminished her in a moment where the Holy Spirit really could have lifted her up because the way in which it was advertised to me that they needed prayer for, they weren't paying attention to what they actually needed prayer for. They took note of something else and asked me to pray for that. Um, Recently at Nerd Church, I was preaching about the importance of work. We were talking about gambling and uh, trying to win... The lottery, which was several billion at the time. And part of what I started preaching is like, this is not the kind of theology that God created the world to be. He created us to work. Work is worship. We are supposed to not just win a bunch of money and sit back for the rest of our lives. Like in in Genesis, the way that you praised God was by farming. That was worship. And then I had somebody who was disabled there, they're like, Well, I can't work. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you don't worship God. You know, like those are the moments where it's like I did not take into account other people cannot work as easily as me. That's not their fault. And they're not not worshiping God because of that. Um, we have to figure out how to listen and how to be better. And I'll end with I'll end with uh, the story. This past week I was in a board meeting for one of the boards I serve on um, that oversees a ministry to disabled people. And uh, that ministry to disabled people, we're seeing stories come about that other churches hadn't. Uh, These were people dealing with autism, and a parent came up to them that past week and said, Hey, this was the first time my child has ever taken communion. To which another pastor in the room responded, Well, why was that? And I just kind of interjected because I've heard this kind of story before. People with autism at some churches aren't allowed to take communion because they they can't, uh, the people think that they can't comprehend what's going on and so they don't want them to partake of it because that seems like it would be an abuse of of the sacrament or something like that. Uh, To which the pastor was like, well, you know, we don't know that that story is true. Which is true. We don't know that that story is true. I've heard those kinds of stories before, so that could have been the case. Uh, but the pastor went on to say, like, we, we don't want to, you know, we need to be careful with this ministry we're doing to disabled people, because when we hear that other churches messed up for them, like, we can take all those stories and just toss them back at other churches, and the church already has enough critique going on. We don't need to be adding to it right now. I want to be sensitive of that, <laughs> to which I, I never speak in these board meetings, but this night, I pushed back. I was like, All of the people that go to this church for disabled people, these are their stories. It's not the first time someone has not had communion because they had autism. And those kinds of stories, like, they should be shared because other people whose children have not had communion because they have autism, they're going to gravitate to that. Somewhere where somebody treats my kid with respect, who lets my kid get to Jesus. A church that baptizes my children, a church that gives my children communion, a church that, that loves them and isn't annoyed when they interrupt the message or the music or this or that. And I just proposed after uh, the meeting when I was talking with them, I was like, those are the kind of stories that I, I need to hear. Because I don't know that I've messed up or that I've missed the mark until somebody else tells that story and I say, wow yeah, I got to watch out for that because maybe I've done that before or maybe I would do that if I hadn't thought about it ahead of time. This idea that the church has enough criticism going on that it doesn't need to hear anymore, it's not right. We, we, need, to, we need to soak in our mistakes so that we don't make them again down the road. So Jesus, we come before you right now. I think this can be a, a, an opening conversation for any justice issue. Because a lot of us haven't done a whole lot of research into disability. And when we see all the things that someone like Amy Kenney faces, then some of the other justice issues start making sense to us where we say, wow, this, this is the same kind of stuff that happens over here in racism, this kind of stuff that happens over here with refugees, same kind of stuff with human trafficking. And if we are open to your spirit, we might actually experience some conviction. So God, would you kill the ablest things in me that I would treat those dealing with disability as the way that you would treat them? The woman that you healed with a spirit of disability in today's passage, you loved her the same before and after she was healed. Her disability did not define her to you. You did not walk up to her and say, I'm going to make you better and then then I'm really going to care about you. No, you got down in her mess beforehand and you pulled her out of it. And we need help. We don't always know how to do that because we realize people dealing with pain have been there for a long time and uh, have already been hurt by the church in numerous ways. So teach us to love them well where they currently are. To pull them out. And even if they never experience healing, even if somehow they carry on um, a disability in the resurrection, I don't know how it works, but maybe if you carried on your wounds, maybe they carry on theirs. We know by then, if they still had it, that we would love them perfectly as we've all been renewed to Christ. May we already start to love them in that way right now. Teach us, grow us, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.